This is a podcast from Art and Reality, the role of visual culture in the post-independent state. This University College Dublin Symposium examined the role of visual culture in constructing and critiquing the Irish Free State and national identity in the aftermath of political independence. The symposium took place in the UCD Humanities Institute on the 19th of October 2018 and was a joint initiative between the UCD School of Art, History and Cultural Policy and NIVAL, the National Irish Visual Arts Library. The symposium was funded by UCD Decade of Centenaries. All ten papers at the symposium were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media and are now available online. In this podcast, to kick Ireland into artistic wakefulness, the Claxon and the Politics of Post-Independence Irish Art Writing, a paper by Conor Linney. Delighted to be closing this uh, wonderful uh, uh, conference we've had today. So many different perspectives. My head's filled with uh, images and ideas. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the Claxon, and we're going right back to the kind of beginnings of our timeline here, to the period between December 1923 and January 1924. Um, so the turn of the new year marked a memorable moment, I think, in the story of Irish modernism. Um, in the unassuming rooms of number 179 Great Brunswick Street, which is now Pierce Street, uh, the magazine that has been described by Tom Clyde as Ireland's uh, first fiercely modernist magazine was printed and circulated in Dublin. Uh, so here it is. Um, we have the klaxon there. Uh, so running to a mere 27 pages, uh, bound together with staples, uh, priced at one shilling and packed with strident commentary on literature and art. Uh, the klaxon really is a classic example of the modernist little magazine uh, as it was uh, developing uh, throughout this period uh, in Europe and the United States and really across the world. Um, but before we go into detail about the Claxon's um, origins and content, I'd like to just focus uh, for a second on the cover itself um, and maybe imagine that you are a Dubliner uh, in the first week of January 1924. Uh, maybe you're passing the bookstalls on O'Connell Street or the bookshops around Grafton Street and you suddenly notice this uh, strange little thing uh, among the periodicals. I'm just interested um, uh, to think about what kind of impact visually it would have had just to cover alone compared to what it was sat beside um, on the stalls. Um, and if we just get an even closer detail of the actual cover itself here. So the strangeness of its title, first of all, would have been obviously compounded by the strangeness of its cover design. Um, what we see here is a kind of a brash, uh, angular typeface uh, ascending diagonally um, what looks like to be kind of a, a, an urban scene, but I think uh, Leventhal describes an escalator. Uh, if we can pick out the escalator there. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, it's, it's strange and it's different to uh, the conventional um, uh, um, uh, design standards that were uh, in Irish periodic culture at this time. Um, so um, I think two publications that we can uh, contrast the Claxon with, um, two very popular publications, were the Irish Statesman um, and the Dublin Magazine, which is also uh, a new publication at this time. Um, uh, these were aimed at, at broader social groups and interests generally, um, which in turn, in turn um, I think, determine their basic layout and design. So we have the Irish Statesman here, first of all. Um, so this is a weekly uh, magazine um, whose editor, George Russell, would actually later um, review the Claxon. Um, um, and it originally developed a strong national readership to its connection with the Irish Agricultural Organisation Society uh, and its preceding associated newspaper, the Irish Homestead. And we can see in the cover here, it's really dominated here by um, an advertisement to uh, convince doctors to buy gas fires. Uh, this is uh, really, the Irish statesman um, had these kind of advertisements uh, taking up half the page every, nearly every single issue. 
Um, and I think this, uh, you know, reflects um, um, its kind of design and angling towards the practical interest of its readership as well as uh, the cultural. And you'll often see articles um, sandwiched in between these agricultural advertisements. It's really actually quite funny a lot of the time. Um, so the major uh, new literary magazine of the day was Seamus O'Sullivan's monthly review uh, of literature, science and art, the Dublin Magazine. Um, and if the Irish statesman appealed to more earthy interests, the Dublin magazine, by contrast, cultivated a refined cultural image uh, for a more, I think, self-conscious middle-to-upper-class readership. And we can see this uh, wonderful cover from um, uh, the early issues there. So it was launched uh, only a few months uh, previous to the Claxon in August 1923. Um, um, and it would uh, actually span a really considerable four uh, uh, decades of publication. Um, and the Dublin magazine's early high-quality production was key to its longevity, um, succeeding in associating the magazine with um, an appealingly sophisticated aura, even after its actual design standards um, began to decline with later editions. So it didn't really manage to keep up this uh, wonderful design we have here. Um, and the front cover uh, was designed with fine glossy paper, uh, presenting uh, an ornate illustration uh, of a Dublin city scene uh, by uh, Harry Clark. So really high quality uh, design standards here. We can even um, get a little bit closer to this image here. So we have our dandy gentleman here with his top hat and cane uh, walking with, obviously, a woman lavishly dressed in a long, uh, a long dress. Um, and Frank Chauvelin has noticed that the artistic coding visible in the production qualities here suggests a wish to be seen as highbrow uh, and to a degree exclusive, which I think is, is correct. So the Dublin magazine did represent a vital publishing platform uh, for established and emerging Irish writers uh, throughout its lifespan. Um, however, the magazine's characteristically cautious editorial line uh, reflected an abiding concern not to unduly provoke the sensibilities of its general readership. Um, the Irish Statesman and the Dublin magazine give us a sense of the kind of expectations of the Irish reader in 1924 of, I think, what a magazine should look like. Um, it was, however, precisely these expectations that the Claxon was uh, determined to challenge upon its arrival. So we go back to this uh, cover here. Um, confrontation was really at the heart of the Claxon's cultural project, um, declaring, in its editorial uh, declaring in its editorial the ambition to kick Ireland into artistic wakefulness. Um, critical discussion on the magazine to date has tended to focus on the extent to which its literary material has serviced the same, in particular, the promotion of Joyce's Ulysses, which is a central uh, review in the article. Uh, but modernist design, artworks, uh, exhibitions, and art criticism as well were all central to the, uh, to the Claxon's uh, iconoclastic aspirations and impact. Um, I think the Claxon provides a compelling focal point by which to explore the reception of visual modernism in Ireland and its use as a force of socio-cultural critique in the years, in the first years even, of the Free State. Um, the magazine is particularly interesting in that it transmits both the vitalising energies and I also think the inherent challenges uh, that this process involved in an Irish context at this time. Um, the Claxon appeared at a key early stage in Ireland's exposure to and reception of uh, many modernist movements and ideas. Um, its editorial declaration to open up an insular, uh, how it described it, Irish culture to the activities of all nations in matters of art, music and literature um, looked to establish uh, the magazine as the radical Irish conduit of a range of transnational visual influences. Um, and of these influences, I will be focusing on uh, Dada and Cubism in the magazine uh, particularly. 
Um, the particular potency of visual modernism as an anti-establishment weapon, of course, was uh, in its continuing capacity, even at this stage, to register the shock of the new upon Irish audiences. Um, the sporadic and generally limited exposure in Ireland to modern artworks meant that this shock factor was true, I think, in relation to contemporary movements such as Dada, as well as it was for earlier innovations such as Cubist abstraction. Um, and we've been talking about uh, Manny Gillett's uh, exhibition of decoration and the kind of furore that caused, and I will be talking about that a bit later. Um, a notable range of modernist Irish reference points shape and animate the Claxon. Um, the magazine's eclecticism, I think, in this way presents the various and even conflicting possible avenues of subversive expression for a young and self-consciously disaffected generation. Yet, if the relative newness of modernist art uh, in Ireland intensified its public impact, it also more problematically conditioned the nascent uh, and relatively underdeveloped state of modern art criticism in Ireland at this time. This condition affected claims of support as much as acts of denunciation across Irish periodicals. Um, these pre pressures register at various points in the Claxon, complicating the defined projection of its artistic affiliations and criticism as agents of progressive cultural change. Okay, so to give you some background into the origins of the Claxon, um, it was founded and edited by the then 28-year-old uh, Jewish Dubliner A.J. Leventhal, um, also Con Leventhal as he was known, and poet F.R. Higgins. Uh, this is a portrait of him by Harry Kurnoff. Leventhal studied modern languages at Trinity College and spent time travelling in Europe and the Middle East in the 1920s. Um, in Paris, he met and befriended James Joyce, Leventhal became a passionate supporter of Joyce's writing and it was his determination to publish a defence of Ulysses against claims of degeneracy um, and even uh, that it was a pornographic book that ultimately led to the founding of the Claxon. Leventhal initially sent his review of Ulysses to the Dublin magazine. Um, however, O'Sullivan, uh, actually, he actually, O'Sullivan actually initially accepted the article, but he was ultimately pressured to reject his publication by the magazine's printers. Um, so Leventhal himself recalls this. He says... I had got as far as correcting the galley sheets when word came that the printers and dollar, dollars would down tools if they were required to help in the publication of the article. Uh, at that time, the very name of James Joyce set the righteous aflame with anger, provoking an odour of sanctimoniousness that seeped into the printing presses of Ireland. Uh, my disappointment was so great that together with F.O. Higgins, I started a little magazine, The Claxon. And this kind of uh, declarative... Uh, hyperbolic tone is really what we're going to be dealing with in the Claxon when it uh, gets up and running. So this uh, frustration at the conservatism of the printing press um, in Ireland became the catalyst for I the Claxon's iconoclastic cultural project and really imbued its uh, iconoclastic voice. Um, Leventhal's review of Ulysses was subsequently one of the most prominent pieces published in the magazine. Yet, as I've already noted with the cover design, before the re reader even arrived at the article towards the end of the magazine, they would have been already confronted by a range of visual and literary material that was you know, provocative for its time. In this, uh, I think the contemporary data movement uh, is a really key influence on the magazine, uh, especially on its bibliographic coding and its editorial identity. Um, and if anyone has any more, uh, I suppose, um, knowledge of uh, the influence of dadaism in Ireland, I'd love to really hear because I haven't really explored this um, fully yet, but you know, the Claxon perhaps represents the only explicit association with Dadaism in Ireland in the first decades of the 20th century. That might be, um, I might be wrong on that, but I've yet to find anything um, as, explicit as, as explicit as the magazine itself. Um, Tim Armstrong's early essay on the Claxon 
in modernism in Ireland, the poetry of the 1930s, termed the magazine as the Irish Blast, um, after, uh, obviously, Wyndham Lewis's famous uh, magazine. Um, and I think, as you can see, typographically, there's obviously, um, and even um, in design, there's obviously um, clear um, uh, uh, resonances. But I also think um, uh, there is this kind of tendency in Anglophone periodical studies um, to rely on Blast as this kind of foundational uh, reference point for the range of magazines that came afterwards. Um, and it is very significant, but I do think, um, I kind of agree more with Nicholas Allen's more recent association of the Claxon with data, and in particular the contemporary data magazine culture that Leventhal variously references in the Claxon, so the magazines that are being published right there and then. Data, of course, originated in response to the horrors of the First World War and manifested as a wide-ranging and diverse international movement. Broadly speaking, Dada looked to challenge uh, and subvert conventional definitions of art as part of a broader assault on rational, on rational thought itself uh, and the power structures that had sanctioned such violence, uh, characteristically drawing on an absurdist, irreverent humour to do so. There is, I think, um, an immediate resonance in Dada as a form of socio-cultural socio critique in the Irish context of 1924. Um, if you think about the free state emerging from the trauma of civil war, and into an increasingly socially repressive state, um, um, a post-independent society. Um, you know, these kind of, um, this trauma is very much part of what Dada um, was, was responding to more globally. Um, Leventhal would have most likely experienced the movement firsthand when visiting Joyce in Paris. Here he might have got his hands on a copy of Francis Picabia's notorious uh, 391 magazines. I've got a few covers from this. Um, um, he began, um, uh, Picabia was a poet, painter, and uh, typographer and generally uh, put his hand absolutely every kind of artistic expression he could. Uh, he launched the magazine in New York in 1917 before relocating to Paris by the 1920s. Um, 391 featured contributions of people like Man Ray and Marcel Duchamp um, and it exemplified the data spirit in its relentless subversion of conventional artistic standards and expectations. So they were doing things across the entirety of the magazine to begin to see that one of the covers here um, actually begins with um, these kind of sprawling contributions and they even assimilated the advertisements in the magazines themselves um, into the poetry and the content that was going on. So really um, a kind of aggressive typographical uh, innovations going on here. Um, so Picabia um, uh, declared himself in 391, um, it's kind of his manifesto, that every page must explode, whether through seriousness, profundity, turbulence, nausea, the new, the eternal, annihilating nonsense, enthusiasm for principles, or the way it is printed. Again, the way it is printed is, is, is key there as well. Um, I think this eclectic, explosive ethos um, is what Claxton is very much looking to emulate across its visual coding and textual content. Um, its manifesto uh, editorial, um, called The Confessional, uh, very much flaunts the hyperbolic voice uh, of Dada, uh, it boldly reads, We are the offspring of a gin and vermouth in a local public house. We swore that we were young and could assert our youth with all its follies. We railed against the psycho-pedantic parlours of our elders and their old maidenly consorts, hoping the while with an excess of Picabia and banter, a whiff of Dallas Europe to kick Ireland into artistic wakefulness. And then it goes on, as of course it will. We produced our seven articles of faith, announcing primarily our belief in ourselves and a Catholic aestheticism that would include the xylophone as well as the spinach, Picasso and Ing, uh, Shakespeare and Aldous Huxley, Beethoven and the organ grinder, Chaplin and Shalia Pin. I'm going to get pronunciation of that. How do you pronounce that? Shaliapin, 
Chaplin and Charlie Appen uh, were mingled in our incredible credo. So what an incredible credo. They're bringing in um, so much different types of things here. Um, but again, we have this data tone of this kind of irreverent, um, uh, uh, but also, um, you know, polemic uh, tone at the same time. The series of images that open the klaxon look to express this dynamic artistic energy uh, and to challenge the reader, I think, with striking visual juxtapositions. So the magazine's geometric cover design, which you've looked at, uh, is abruptly followed by this interesting piece, uh, a wood sculpture, which is actually um, lent by uh, Grace Henry. Um, so if anyone, again, has any details on that, uh, I'd love to hear it. I haven't found anything yet, but she lent um, uh, uh, the image to the magazine. Um, and is obviously a cheap, uh, kind of a classic example of um, uh, of primitism that really influenced a wide range of modernist art at this time, uh, and which did feature across uh, data periodical culture as well. So two nine one is an earlier, um, uh, well as the kind of preceding magazine to three nine one, we can see um, 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 that kind of primitivist um, influence there. So from this primitivist image that we in the Claxon, uh, we then proceed to the contents page. Uh, and a contrasting uh, illustration of a, of a modern metropolitan scene. Um, I think there's a humour here in the angular uh, poses of the city strollers that is actually further heightened if we take the illustration as an almost awry updating of the Georgian couple that featured so prominently in the Dublin magazine. I really think it is a comment on that. Um, 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 and, you know, it, it was, it was uh, so relevant to the origins of the Claxon. Interestingly enough, actually, we talked about this just before um, this uh, panel began. Um, the Claxon also features advertisements from the Dublin magazine as well. So you have this um, kind of wry rebelliousness uh, mixed with the practicalities and perhaps the realities of the relationship uh, underneath all the hyperbole. But we definitely have a humour here um, and, 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 and an iconoclasm that is kind of um, uh, utilising that, um, I think, that is... Um, um, tone. Um, so in his article on Ulysses, Leventhal highlights the significance of Dada's humour and burlesque in relation to Joyce's parodic uh, writing style. He writes, the form of burlesque which runs through the whole of Ulysses is a point of contact with the writings of some young Frenchman known as Dada's. Uh, Max Jacob was obviously a poet associated with the movement. Max Jacob, in a curious prose poem, has a titanic battle in the stalls of a theatre where thousands are numbered amongst the slain and the current Dada weeklies I'm not sure if anyone knows about the weeklies. I haven't found uh, any weeklies. I think if they're going to produce weeklies, they'd, they'd need a bigger budget. Uh, the current data weeklies uh, swarm with this type of gigantic hyperbole. And that's a great uh, phrase for what the Claxon's really trying to do, is trying to um, emulate this gigantic hyperbole uh, of dadism um, across its design um, as well as its editorial content. Um, I do think that um, the magazine uh, represents a key uh, site of dadist influence. Um, registering the possibilities of the uh, movement um, as a form of, of countercultural uh, critique. Um, so there is this Dallas element, which I think is, is very interesting. I'd love to hopefully uncover some more uh, instances of this in the Irish uh, periodic culture or more generally of the time. Um, but up to this point, so I've been focusing on, on the visual coding and Claxton's editorial voice. Um, but the Claxton's most polemic artistic contribution uh, actually occurs um, in an art critical essay by Thomas McCreevy on the recent exhibition of Manny Gellett's uh, uh, work at the, which featured, among others, in the Society of Dublin Painters Gallery. So here is Thomas McCreevy here. I think he's a bit older than what he would have been when he was writing in the Claxon. Um, so though the influence of data, as we have seen, is prevalent in the magazine, it is symptomatic of the Claxon's eclecticism that McCreevy's essay introduces a markedly, a markedly different art critical perspective and tone. Um, so you have this oscillating 
um, um, sense of, of modern art uh, across the magazine, which I think also registers the kind of excitement of these new influences um, rather than actually consolidating into a single vision or a single uh, intent. Um, McCreevy switches the focus from Dadism to Cubism um, in a socio-cultural critique of the perceived lamentable standards of modern Irish criticism. He has a lot of things to say about Irish criticism. Um, so this is uh, Manny Jalas' decoration. Um, me, uh, before we get to that, though, McCreevy's sensitivity to art criticism as a discipline uh, and the importance of developing a mature art critical culture in Ireland uh, really anticipates his future uh, influence as an art critic over the following decades, uh, which would, of course, culminate in his role as the director of the National Gallery from 1950. McCreevy's essay is uh, um, entitled Picasso, Mamie Jealous, she misspells her name, which kind of happened a few times in this time. Uh, Picasso, Mamie Jealous and Dublin Criticism, uh, taking as its starting point the scandal surrounding the ex exhibition uh, of uh, this painting and another, um, but decoration seems to have taken uh, most of the flack. So if the hostility towards Joyce's Ulysses was the instigating literary event of the Claxon, this exhibition and the controversy it, it, it kind of aroused uh, really is the kind of artistic counterpart um, in, in the Claxon. Um, although I think it was very important that Angela mentioned how, you know, even in the immediate years after this event, um, uh, recognition was growing in a more um, positive or at least understanding sense as to what artists like Gillette were trying to do. Um, so decoration is generally regarded as the first abstract painting to have been exhibited by, in Ireland by an Irish artist. Um, the Cubist style here reflects her period of study, of course, with André Lotte and Albert Glaze in Paris in the early 1920s. Um, inspired by their work, Gillette began to analyse uh, rhythm and colour uh, and form in her own painting. Um, though essentially abstract, the format, colour and range of media uh, and decoration um, do recall the religious iconography that you know, has been mentioned, I think Fiona Barber was mentioning it earlier, um, that will become such an important part of Gillette's own, um, uh, own work. Um, however, this, even this kind of religious influence um, was largely lost on the Irish audience of uh, uh, the future work in 1923. Um, and much of the criticism of the painting focused on its perceived lack of meaning or narrative, so basically judging the painting in representational terms, um, uh, even though it was obviously an abstract work. So um, Angela had mentioned uh, George Russell's uh, wonderful criticism comparing it to uh, an artistic malaria. Um, the Irish Times also compared the painting to a malformed onion, which is another uh, a memorable one. Uh, so we're talking about a really derisory language here that really kind of almost is reminiscent of like earlier decades of, um, of criticism against uh, modernist work. And it's, it's really uh, amazing how um, the kind of language a painting like this could provoke uh, in, in the Irish media. So um, or Cubism even was, of course, no longer a new artistic phenomenon by 1923, uh, quite the opposite. You'd have people um, from the Dallas movement overtly criticising Cubism as becoming um, a kind of conventional um, and even uh, marketed uh, kind of art form by this stage. Um, um, it is precisely the stunted Irish critical recognition of such developments in visual modernism that really provokes uh, McCreevy's ire in his Claxon article. Um, so he writes, um, so he's referencing here um, Ellen Duncan's um, uh, two really important earlier exhibitions of post-impressionist art um, at the United Arts Club, and that was in 1911-1912. So he says, It is ten years uh, and more since Miss Duncan 
the late curator of the Municipal Art Gallery, organised two representative exhibitions of work by the leading French post-impressionists in Dublin. And one would have thought that by this time our young artists would have taken up and got over Cubism, and our critics be familiar with Cubism and every other kind of post-impressionist-ism, but not they. Miss Jellett is the first resident artist to exhibit a Cubist picture in Dublin, and our critics are as hopelessly at sea in front of her work as her benighted predecessors were about Picasso and Othon Fries and Matisse in 1912. So big, tough words by McCready here. Um, McCready challenges the charge against Gillette's decoration as failing to satisfy uh, conventional expectations of pictorial narrative or symbolism. Um, and he asserts uh, a contrastingly, uh, very rigidly formalist appreciation of the painting uh, based on what he describes as the harmonic effect of its tonal and linear patterns. Um, in this reading, Jellet is not confined by any national or nationalist expectations, uh, but rather expresses a fluid transnational artistic sensibility. Um, and we can see here, I, I can almost even detect that kind of semi-patronising tone of the male critic to the uh, woman artist that I think Fiona was talking about as well. It kind of creeps into McGreevy's writing a bit. She is now beginning to understand what painting means. Thank God. She's now, I mean, she's now beginning to understand what painting means. Painting that is apart from literature or message, uh, or any kind of illustration, so far as the aesthetic value of her work is concerned, it is of no consequence whether it is done in Paris, in Dublin, or in Baldi Hub. Uh, so this is McCreevy's evaluation of the painting. This is not necessarily um, an evaluation, per se, that Jellis would uh, necessarily agree with, um, especially as she developed her own um, symbolist kind of um, um, uh, resonance to her painting that accompanied their abstract nature. Um, uh, I think McCreevy's uh, analysis of the uh, painting here, um, the loosening of her work from the tethers of place, um, really corresponds with the Claxton's editorial aspirations as an international quarterly, uh, open to the activities of all nations, as I said, in matters of art, music and literature. So McCreevy's, uh, I think McCreevy's uh, article is just really fascinating for such a, a variety of reasons, because in one sense he's critiquing um, um, what he, um, I suppose, describes as an immature artistic culture, but his own article actually really reflects this in many ways as well, and its lack of focus, um, and it really um, takes a turn after this kind of detailed, um, um, uh, um, uh, I suppose, interrogation of a single painting. Um, so I think McGreevy attacks, even as he attacks nationalist insularity and its narrowing impact on the horizons of Irish art criticism, the article as it progresses surprisingly becomes preoccupied with the influence of British art institutions and artists in a way that relocates McGreevy's art writing um, within the nexus of nationalist political discourse, I think, in post-independence Ireland. In a rambling concluding passage that diverges wildly from the article's original focus, McGreevy declares that our art teachers are in the grip of the English tradition, the worst of all traditions in painting, not excluding the German, uh, before persuading to... This is just coming immediately after this, so it's quite, quite jolting, actually. Um, he then proceeds to, proceeds to denigrate the uh, 18th century portrait painters uh, from England, Joshua Reynolds and Thomas Gainsborough. And then from this, he moves on to a scathing critique of the hanging policies of the National Gallery uh, and the excessive representation of what he believes to be excessive of English artists on its walls. And this is quite remarkable. We have quite enough representations of lower middle-class Dutch and upper middle-class English interiors to go on with. The National Gallery has never been a favourite haunt of Dublin people, except for an odd pair of lovers who discover what a delightfully lonely retreat it is. <laughs> Could be still true to the in some ways. The Municipal Gallery has from its earliest days been popular with students as well as with the general public, for we are all, except our newspaper critics, interested 
uh, by Irish artists and French artists. We are not interested in dead Dutch Boers and dead English gentlemen. Uh, they only tell us about Boorishness and gentility. They tell us nothing about art. So it's quite a remarkable passage um, in, in one that began as, as an exhibition review, you know. Um, so in the space of two pages, obviously, we've, taken, we've come a long way from a, a formalist reading of a painting uh, and the reception of Cubism in Ireland. Um, I think um, this lack of focus, as I said, does reflect the challenges um, in developing a mature Irish art criticism, even as McCreevy criticises that. So um, the anxieties and tensions related to the relationship between Britain and Ireland, um, uh, you know, they do, they do complicate this idea of a transnational um, uh, critical culture. Um, so uh, I think also, I mean, these kind of eccentricities are very much characteristic of the little magazine genre that we're talking about here. And the claxon was very much uh, defined by its hyperbolic tenor. So to come back, uh, I will conclude now this uh, wonderful cover again. So I guess as we've tried to explore in this paper, um, uh, the, the claxon's hyperbolic tenor was very much shaped in significant and diverse ways by the magazine's art writing, uh, reproductions and design. Um, that the Claxton only lasted for one issue meant that much of the Dadaist and Cubist fervour it inspired ultimately faded in many ways with its termination, though uh, later magazines such as Tomorrow did carry on aspects of the Claxton's uh, visual modernist legacy. Um, and a reviewer of the magazine, uh, George Russell, um, he said, he always had a thing to say about anything that was published at this point, he said, here Irish youth is trying desperately to be wild and wicked without the capacity to be anything else but young. Even <laughs> He just has a way of phrasing things, doesn't he? Um, so I think this is actually a really interesting comment because it is valid. I think, I think the klaxon uh, is bursting with this youthfulness um, and it really registers the excitement uh, of assimilation, um, a contemporary movement such as Dada, um, um, without really ever, um, I think, establishing um, a, um, kind of a basis um, uh, for how that might be more um, uh, complexly uh, assimilated into Irish cultural life. Um, but at the same time, it is more than just, I think, um, uh, you know, trying to be wicked uh, um, and a rant of youth. I think really think the Claxon, um, during the period of its publication, represented uh, a really vivid sight of countercultural possibility in the first years of the Free State, um, thrusting modernist art and art writing to the fore of Irish cultural debate in a way that, you know, would arguably not be fully replicated until much later in the 1940s or 50s. Um, so I do think it was a, a worthy uh, project. And thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Art and Reality, the role of visual culture in the post-independent state. The symposium took place in the UCD Humanities Institute on the 19th of October, 2018, and was a joint initiative between the UCD School of Art, History and Cultural Policy and NIVAL, the National Irish Visual Arts Library. The symposium was organised by Roisin Kennedy and funded by UCD Decade of Centenaries. All ten papers at the symposium were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media and are now available online.